previously on Drama. Good afternoon. My name is Noah Birch, and I am very happy to be back with you at Banff this year to pitch my oil wife. Checking in? Douglas, you're the new doctor. Psychiatrist. Children. No, but not because I can't. I have chosen not to. I didn't ask you if you had children. I simply said children. Who are you? My apologies. I'm not young. These things can drag on for years. Just remember this, P. This is a town that knows exactly what's happening beneath the ground, but we have no idea what's happening above it. Drama. The Pilot Episodes, Part 2. Interior. The next morning. Halogen lights flood the small grand room of a one-bedroom-plus workspace at Hotel Nakwaga. A condominium on the condo side of Hotel Nakwaga. Penelope is being shown through the suite by a haughty western realtor. Long leather coat, blown-out hair, tall boots. It's fantastic. It's rare, it's new, and it overlooks the stampede grounds. You can watch the chuck wagon races and then pop down to 100 bottles for a nifty Malbec. Once a year. That's once more than any other city on this earth. Bathroom floors are stone. It's more than I was imagining. So they say, I wouldn't know. This is my world now. It's small, it's exotic. Cross-trading is working well within the pocket, so price becomes irrelevant immediately upon purchasing. You commit to the terrain, to cowboy culture itself, which is more than a century strong. And know that if you ever step away, you're simply priced to sell out and trade up. Log cabin in Muskoka, fishing lodge on Quadra, nothing matters anymore. Get a puppy, get a kitten. I won't be having a pet. I don't mean get a puppy, get a kitten. I mean, if you do, it means nothing, because the garburetor is heat-sensitive. Not just heat, but life-sensitive. The temperature of life. You put a hot mess of pasta down there, it's gone. Diced, garburated. You put your whole hand down, everything stops. Put a kitten down there, a puppy, saved. They nested a litter of cougar pups in the model suite for six weeks. It's the developer's oblique way of saying that the place is safe for children. They turned that garburetor on night and day, and it would not start. Soon as the cougar pups left the little den, <laughs> would you like to put your hand in? No. You're the new therapist, right? Psychiatrist. I'll be practicing It's here. live work. You can do both. Live work. It's zoned. Nothing matters. Parking? Just for visitors. There's a furniture store and a medical concierge on the ground floor. You get move-in rebates at both. Are the Venetians? Plantations. They could be. Are the light fixtures? They can be. All fitted out. You can order room service from the raw bar 24 hours, just like the hotel guests. Lobster nachos at midnight right to your door. How do you pronounce? Nakwaga. It's Ojibwe for dreamcatcher. Well, more like Cree for... <laughs> 
The building sits on what was once sacred ground, so the idea was to pay homage. But of course, the building was a factory until the 80s, and- My friend tells me it was an abattoir. Yes, yes it was. However, there is no Ojibwe word for abattoir, or Cree for that matter. Abattoir is French, as is the concept of killing and skinning animals indoors. So we decided to focus away from the moment of death and more on the animal's subsequent freedom from pain on all of the animal souls that were released from their suffering through slaughter right here at Nakwaga. Our creatives came up with the dream catcher concept as though this building holds the animal's final, most vivid dreams. Beautiful lives flashing before dazzled eyes. But the actual Ojibwe word for dreamcatcher is exabiction, which proved too difficult for most of our sales reps to say. Nakwaga derives from Bowajige Nagwagan, another descriptor for dreamcatcher, but which directly translated actually means nightmare trap. And though we found that a bit creepy, a little hard to monetize, Creative was able to offer new spirit for the words and for life at Nakwaga through our slogan, Peace of Mind at Nakwaga. It's only a dream. I think it works, but then we're only in our eighth month. In the civilized world, the first world, I mean, if you agree with the idea that the first world is the civilized one, our sundowner cocktail gossip or evening movie or television show is our day's end. We need our drama. Is this not Blackfoot territory? Uh. The last spasms of a survival mechanism designed to discharge any residual or excess perceptive energies so that we may sleep. May I ask what kind of psychiatry you do? A survival mechanism, one which orders chaos. Young, Freud, something like that. We will have a drama. We'll have a drama every night. Or, as the sage says, If we don't get our drama, We'll make it up ourselves. Sign here. If the composed drama that we get is not satisfying, we will manifest a more discomposed drama in our lives. And here? Trouble and woe. Last one. We have nearly lost the thread, but till we do, we haven't. Penelope signs the documents. The realtor makes what she believes to be an Ojibwe gesture of thanks. Miigwech. The realtor leaves with the papers. Lights shift and become fragmented, as one might imagine shards of light through plantation blinds. Penelope walks through her stylish livework condominium. She draws the pink pistol from earlier out of her purse, then sets it snugly in her brand new show home dresser drawer. Penelope snaps open a compact and lipsticks her lip, paying special attention to her cut. Then she assumes a psychiatrist's position. Legs crossed elegantly, stylus poised over a glowing iPad. Some of us still use paper, by the way, stenographer pads. Some of us still use shorthand anyway. Like food, shelter, sex, the drama remains a human need. The drama offers the promise of peace. The lessening of the unbearable tension between our conscious and unconscious minds. We will be moved. Not by what is right, but But by by what what is. Penelope makes her bed. She does not lie in it. 
The sage makes the commando hand signal and aims it at Penelope. <laughs> Penelope does not see. Interior. Penelope's workspace, next afternoon. Light projects through the plantation blinds in sharp stripes and slats. And what brings you here? It's difficult, I know. It's difficult, I know, to begin, so... Why don't you just talk about what you're experiencing right now? In this room, with me. We see a young man dissected by light. His body, his briefcase. Noah? Well... You said in your message that you are a content provider? That's right. I'm sorry, I... I don't know what. For television. You... I provide content. You... I'm sorry, you... For television. I write for television. I'm a writer. In a shadow somewhere, we see a woman indistinct. Her body appears to be misshapen, almost monstrous. She slinks toward Noah, but as she approaches, we realize her body is not actually monstrous. Rather, there is a baby attached to it. Feeding. This is the decision maker. Penelope does not see or hear the decision maker. Why? Because the decision maker is inside Noah's mind. Any time. I have a few. Any time. Why don't you just tell me what your I have been experiencing fears and worries that are interfering with my ability to work. I am plagued by regret, indecision, uncertain as to my correct path. In life? In life, yes. And in work. I am oppressed by unwanted thoughts. Mental arguments. Swamp masters. Any time, Noah. Swamp masters? Swamp masters. I live in the past. I am weak-willed and subservient. I am riddled with feelings of gloom, but I struggle on. Despite this deep sense of horror, I'm exhausted. Light morphs radically. The plantation blinds dissolve. Through the window panes, we see the rocky mountains. Sunshine floods the scene, fully revealing the decision maker now. The Banff International Television Festival. We are at a meeting in Noah's memory. The decision maker is wearing a complicated sweater wrap. 
extremely tall boots and a baby attached to her breast, feeding. Her long hair is highlighted. The baby's mohair blankie picks up the highlights in her hair. Noah draws his briefcase onto his lap and pulls out a very thick sheath of documents. Pitch documents. You want sitcoms? Procedurals? Hourlongs? You want reality? Games? Outdoor? Cooking? Bring it on. Okay. My Loose Cannon. It's a half-hour situational comedy about a high-achieving couple, both of whom are bipolar and prone to shoplifting as well as to sex in illegal places so that they're always rescuing each other and being rescued as a couple by their long-suffering assistant, Marcy. I think we had something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it was a drama. This is a comedy. Quippy. Nothing dark. Just the so, upside. not accurate. Not trying to be... No depression. No. Well... Yes, but when they're down, it's even funnier, biting. Got it. What else? I, I, Koala is a stop motion with actual bears, and it's about one koala in particular who learns each episode that transformation is possible in an interior way, simply by accepting that he need not change. Mm, yes. The, the philosophy is somewhat complex, but it's meant for the whole family. Adults watch the movements of the soul. Toddlers enjoy and identify with the size and shape of the koala. Yes. Go on. Going for broke. It's a million-dollar question-style show in which debt-ridden contestants answer basic skill-testing questions and at any point have the option of relinquishing all hope of winning the million-dollar prize in favor of a small cash bonus and a consequence-free bankruptcy, which would, in each case, have a profound impact on their families' lives, allowing for custody, posting bail, spaying a pet, winter tires, etc. Timely. Thanks. And, and this isn't the last one I have, but it's one of my favorites. Any Babies. It's a puppet comedy where the souls of babies get together in a netherworld as they float around in and out of the fetuses that are growing in their prospective mom's bellies. The babies communicate with each other about the women who are pregnant and what kind of spirits they have so that they can choose the best mom for them. Like puppets who kill. Yes, no. Like the Muppets? Somewhere in between. Only it's a 13-part series with an arc. It's set in a wealthy oil town, and the moms are all those blonde oil patch filly types, but the puppets have really distinct personalities. The baby souls are distinct. Right. The souls. And they look like souls more than babies, more abstract. The puppets. You see the moms in their daily lives, going for lunch, doing yoga, shopping. And these baby souls are totally in awe of them. They're just like, wow, are you my mommy? <laughs> They're dying to get born, and that desire is the engine, really. The, the engine of the show. Are you my mommy? <gasps> I didn't think baby souls had desires. Well, they're hunger then. But pre-born babies don't experience hunger. Umbilical cord? But I think the engine of the series has to do with hunger. And if the pre-born babies have no hunger, I could switch it to a kind of survival instinct, which I know for sure that pre-born babies have. The fact is... What we're really looking for are 8, 8.30 family shows that are going to be uplifting and challenging. I'm mean, sure not afraid to be a little out there, but ideally with strong female protagonists who 
Are the female protagonists strong? Are any of these characters likable? Well, uh, those are two separate questions. Are they? Well, yeah, I mean... I mean, I think the moms are likable just because they're so attractive, you know? Jim firm, bison fed, and so they're all so strong. And the bipolar couple are funny, jokey. They'd be played by Second City performers, you know, comedians. So in that sense, I think, yeah, totally likable. The babies are always going to be sympathetic because they're babies. Except that they're abstract. They're not actually born yet. Like, they're the idea of babies. They're not wearing anything yet, right? The babies? There's nothing to make them cute. No. Well, no. But, and I mean, the people are, the reality people are people, not characters. The addicts, the deadbeats, so, so, so are you okay with them being not likable? Since they're not actually characters? Because I have to say, I think the most wondrous people are not necessarily all that likable. And, you know, if you want strong female characters, well, be careful what you wish for, because you actually tap that vein. That's like sinking a rig into the pristine ocean floor when the drill column blows and watching it gush uncontrollably. Then you gotta clean up the mess you made. You gotta wage a war that is not a glorious battle against evil or some cathartic agreement on what evil even is, but rather obligatory. Punishing, unceasing penance for the profound error of our ways, and I have difficulty navigating this gap or this crack in the poetics of television because we are talking about the DNA of drama here. We are talking about the DNA of our souls, which is why I don't do drama anymore because I can't find a way to do it without getting blamed for some kind of rape and spillage because we all know that what you really want, what you really want is something to put between the ads. And I don't actually care about a single specific I have just pitched you, though I am confident, except for the oil patch moms who are obviously going to be stunning, any one of these premises could be reworked seamlessly for good looking, likable characters. And you give the women a ravenous sexual appetite or a fucking gun, and just as long as the stakes are high, I think you'll be very satisfied because if we've basically just boil it all down to good looks plus desire, which is what's kept the human race going for this long, and it'll kill us in the end. But until then, until the end, it seems to be a recipe for success, because really what you, what we all are doing here is trying to find a way to stay alive. To keep the half hour, the one hour television format, which is barely breathing, alive. When all indicators point to games and interactive fucking multi-platform, cross-platform, unholy layers and layers of meaning minus us and the distinct possibility that drama itself is very nearly dead. Am I right? Am I right? A pair of antlers appears in the window right behind the decision-maker's head. Noah could not take his eyes off them. The mountains vanish and the shards of light dissect the room again. The decision-maker vanishes. Penelope and Noah sit in Penelope's office in near darkness. Penelope. Penelope. Can I get you a glass of water? No. Uh, thank you. No. Can you go on? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure how to... Can you tell me what you're feeling right now? In this room, with me. Noah says nothing. He does not take his eyes off Penelope as he places his documents on the chaise beside him. After a moment. Do you have a washroom? Restroom? It's just off the vestibule. I don't... I beg your pardon. You passed it on the way in. I did. <laughs> Noah looks right into Penelope's eyes. He pushes his documents away from himself toward her and steps away. The documents seem to glow. Excuse me, please. Penelope watches him go. In the dimness, we can mostly just make out the documents and Penelope's still face. We hear a few raindrops, and then we hear the rain. Little fig creeps into the room through shadows, crosses Noah's path. She watches where Noah went, then looks to Penelope. Fig is twitchy, all eyelashes and twisted hair, a fingernail in her mouth. Penelope still cannot see her. Penelope checks her lipstick, her cut. She checks her phone. She looks at something on her iPad. She stands, follows the content provider's path to the bathroom. Noah's pages blaze. Noah? Penelope sees the bathroom door is open. Noah? She steps into the light that spills through the door. Noah? <laughs> Naked mole rats. In the darkness, little Fig is hovering in midair. She's stroking a naked mole rat. It trembles in her arms. Penelope remains motionless in the bright light spilling from the washroom. Fig steps into Penelope's light and steals it. Everything vanishes but Fig and her rat. Naked mole rats live in new social societies similar to those of ants. Roughly 10% of naked mole rat societies do not reproduce. They act instead as scouts. Protectors, non-breeding mole rats maintain the burrows and protect the young. Fig cuddles the naked mole rat, plays with a paw. Naked mole rats use many distinct vocalizations to communicate with their colony, including squeaks and sneezes. When a non-breeding naked mole rat spies a hawk, he will trill 
trill is like an animal siren that is heard by the naked mole rat's entire colony. That said, it will also be heard by the hawk. When a gopher sights a hawk, it chirps a warning, but only to alert its own family to the danger. Naked mole rats, are you social? Gophers are not. Meaning species of animals that have the strongest family bonds may not be best poised for survival of their species. In the end, Fig gives the naked mole rat a little kiss and places it at her feet. It scurries off. Naked mole rats are not sentimental. One 911 call later. Penelope's workspace. Penelope paces by her window with a mini bar bottle of Grey Goose in her hand. Ambulance lights flash below. The stage lurks in shadow. Thank him. Thank him for coming. Thank you for coming. A psychiatrist post-suicide should never spend the evening alone. Even one who's used to bodies. I'm used to them in a morgue, not my bathroom. The sage hands her a bottle of tiny pills. Thank you. There is a siren's brief blip. The emergency lights pull away and softer Nakwaga light spreads out. A swimming pool lights reflected. We hear a zen waterfall. The sage cracks a mini Johnny Black. The content providers' scripts are everywhere, some inside manila folders, some spread out on a chaise. There are Pringles. I didn't see it coming. They're a little slipperier when they're alive, aren't they, Doctor? He left these with purpose. He left them for me. I promised him a sacred space, and he hanged himself in it with his conference lanyard. Festival lanyard. He begged my pardon. He knew the burden of... I wonder if I can get a shoe shine at this hour. Sorry to bore you. Forensics can be so dull unless the body's yours. These pills, can I take them with alcohol? No. She pops a pill. Do you mind if I get a massage while we're working? Yes. I so seldom have the opportunity. The sage keys in numbers on the hotel line. Penelope drains her gray goose. Penelope stares out after the ambulance. The sage disappears into Penelope's bedroom. The impulse to suicide is compelling. There's a kind of love that can be fed by one's increasing intimacy with death, with the idea of death. A kind of psychic hymen that gets broken when one gets very close to it, to doing it. And then that never goes away. Death becomes a partner. Some are furious at the idea and fight it. For some, the impulse feeds on not doing it, like lust. I wouldn't know. About the impulse to suicide or lust? Don't start analyzing me now. I've had four different colors of alcohol. Came here for a fresh start. Who didn't? Penelope cracks open a new mini bar bottle. 
Sounds like you got the worm. What? She holds the tiny bottle up to the light and peers at it. There is no sound on earth like the cracking of a mini bar tequila bottle with a little baby worm in its heel. Shoot it back. She does. She gags. The sage reappears in a terry cloth hotel bathrobe with a dream catcher embroidered on the chest. What kind of mini bar? Mini bar and a nightmare trap. An elevator sounds distantly. A cow moves, rodeo sigh. What did you expect of this town, Dr. Douglas? Did you expect that people with money and promise would be any less unsettling than your white trash family back home? My parents were professors. There is a knock. Neither responds to it. Did you think you'd find some Wild West psychiatric society to go along with your contemporary hotel condo with housekeeping? Some band of renegade frontier shrinks on call 24-7? Head doctors without borders? Past hope, past fear, past dread? I see three of you. Did you expect that we'd have slicker psychiatric systems run healing mountain water through our Weltschmerz? Where does the bitumen go, Penelope? Little Fig enters in a Swiss masseuse outfit, a cowbell around her neck. There is no cure for this, Dr. Douglas. He smacks his own breathing body. No cure for this. He smacks. It's a fucking swamp. The sage lies down on the chaise, and Fig places her foot on his back. Pressure points. Lighting shifts. Halogen, only more dreamy. I should never have come to this godforsaken town. People think they want a fresh start. Such longing is fatuous. Without any connections to the past, there is no mortifying memory of illness. No lost toys, no unforgettable moments in the playground. No, you don't. Penelope sways slightly. No. The sage and fig hold still, watching her. There was an incident, you see. Back east. A mother and her baby were killed. They were separated in the morgue, so I brought them back together. I heard someone crying. Turns out it was me. Perhaps I held the baby too long. Then came the paramedics, the police. I don't remember much after that. I don't even remember driving home. Being driven. Big deal, you think? The sage seems indeed unmoved. I'm moving west. Say hi to Tofino for me. Have a Nanaimo bar. I can't be a godmother. I don't believe in any god. I choose soul over gods. So help me if I'm wrong. Come, Come here. here. Say what? Come here. She does. Meredith rolls onto his back. Fig takes Penelope's hand and places it at the pulse in Meredith's throat. The living body is a field on which the spirit plays. Wantonly, the living body is soul, soul articulated. Historically, the soul has been found in heart, spleen, liver, lungs. Fig places Penelope's hands over the sage's torso. 
kidneys, pancreas. The soul is polycentric. Courage, grief, rage, joy. Penelope's hands glow red with the light from within him. Psychiatry and medicine have been reluctant to honor these poetic connections. The microscope cannot look far enough within. I am bound by the principles of the my darkness. profession. Use your own light. I'm a doctor meant to fight fate. But when fate is fought, the saved are veiled in something, like zombies. And if I don't resist, I go under too. We are, from time to time, meant to undergo. A doctor is meant to haul her patients back to life. When soul is alive, the dead live among us. When flesh lives, the soul is alive. When soul is alive, the his dead flesh. live among us. Approach it, and there is no beginning. Follow it, and there is no end. I didn't see it coming. There is no salvation, Penelope. Only salve. The Simpsons, The Daily Show, Mad Men. The sage flicks a remote, and a giant flat screen blinks on. Fig climbs onto the chaise. Now, Dr. Douglas, are you gonna lie there bleeding, or are you gonna cowboy up? Penelope wilts down onto the chaise, setting her head in Fig's lap. Penelope and Fig watch TV. Interior. Three days later. Penelope's condo. The television is still on, and Penelope is in her office, which is nearly dark. She is reading Noah's scripts, which she has been doing for the last three days. The pages glow in the cathode rays. Little Fig is sitting somewhere nearby, indistinct flipping through a well-worn copy of TV Guide. In the antechamber, the decision-maker. She's waiting for her appointment. She's dressed beautifully in morning black, dress, veil, gloves. She's quiet, very thoughtful. Her baby is tucked into a little black bassinet, the baby's black Blanky matches the decision-maker's funeral veil. On any given day, if I say yes to a show that fails, I stand to lose my job, perhaps. But if I pass on a show that turns out to be the next law and order, they will kill me. She removes her gloves. She purells her hands. She purells her baby's hands. He was a soldier, and he died on the field. I was his juggernaut, and I'm trailing his blood. They will smell it. I bought a beautiful house on a hill. Now, mudslides, earthquakes. There are rats in the hills, in my laundry room. They bite babies. I don't have a husband. I have a wine fridge. 
Can you fathom the depth of my concern? I am the chief. I'm the only one. Look at you. Totally oblivious. World War Three could start. Or, no, did, did we just have World War? You must always remember how lucky you are, Flannery. Whatever may be, like they say, some people never even get born at all. Data? The decision maker lifts the bassinet. Call me Dee Dee. Sorry to keep you waiting. Penelope steps into the vestibule. She is wearing a deeper shade of lipstick to mask her cut. I was able to fill the time. They enter Penelope's office. May I have a glass of water? I find it dry here. Penelope opens her plantation blinds. Light stripes the room. Of course. The decision maker does not sit at first. Rather, she circles the little bassinet, moving slowly through striped shadows. Penelope gives Dee Dee a tiny bottle of water. This city, it's dusty. I'm from Toronto originally, the Annex. Do you know it? Yes. Yes, you've been east. I can hear it. So I'm told. The air is moister there. I work out of Los Angeles now. I live in the hills. And what brings you here? The mountains, the television festival, the cusp of entertainment innovation. <laughs> May I ask how you got my name? You didn't mention in your message. Through the concierge in the lobby. I'm staying hotel side. She spoke almost glowingly of you, that little concierge. And what brings you to me? Just trying to process recent events. On your medical form, you noted that you have been experiencing some anxiety. Is this unusual? For me? Yes. But I would say it's common in my field. The world is changing. Your field Drama. Is... Television. Television drama. By drama, I also mean comedy, of course. It's all lumped in. Reality's cheap and so still viable, but despite the fact that the appetite for drama is shrinking games on demand, I have little interest in reality. Perhaps you could tell me about that. The impending death of network television? Why don't you just tell me about your recent events? It's the largest festival of its kind in the world, Banff. Bigger than New York, bigger than Monte Carlo. Perhaps there's a bigger one in India, but no one cares. No one here cares. I don't care about India. Indian TV, East Indian, I probably should. I care about Native American TV, I just bought some. It's sort of a Cherokee Mary Tyler Moore. I... I'm a decision maker. A decision maker? For television. I make decisions for my network. I decide. I have carte blanche. And yet, even my position is tenuous. 
Do you mind if I feed my baby? Of course. Didi prepares to breastfeed her baby. Penelope looks away. It takes place over ten days and swallows the Banff Springs Hotel, the lounges, the ballrooms. It happens during writing season. The elk outside, the television industry within. The place is a hotbed of debate. How is the drama evolving? Is the dramedy taking over? What has been the effect of the 44-minute hour? Didi is now sitting with the baby near her breast, but not at it. Her breast is fully exposed to Penelope. These are the things that fill our minds. Fine minds, Dr. Douglas. The decision makers, anyway. Most of us are Ivy League. Harvard, Yale, Stanford. We studied the classics, the Americans anyway. I'm American, now. In the end, it's simply about what to put between the ads. Why don't you tell me about your anxiety? I am. Noah appears in a shadow. His lanyard is tangled creepily around his neck. Neither woman can see him because he is a ghost. Didi helps her baby to latch. 99% of the delicates are there to sell, to pitch. The pitches are verbal, some formal, on stages, most gorilla, manic, in stairwells, at urinals. The gaps between the powerful and powerless in this industry are as vast as in oil, gas, water, but in television, the chasm is magnified by the specter of mortification. Because when you pitch, you are not just laying down your product, you are exposing your psyche. You are laying down your animus. Trans Poodle. It's a claymation, 22 minutes, featuring a boy dog who knows he's a bitch. And in this moment, Penelope hears Noah. She freezes. You have to imagine that your body is already dead to access the fearlessness that is required... Spirit guide. ...to pitch. It's a reality show that follows an actual spirit guide who goes into working-class homes, but he's super chill and salt of the earth, and he helps what you might call white trash through their trashy class problems using the teachings of Buddha and the Tao. Now Penelope sees Noah. She is horrified, very still. Here we go, Penelope. Noah was from Ontario. Went to some community college. Taught himself how to write. He was camping on Tunnel Mountain. Pressing his pants with a can of beans. We were in the Cascade Lounge. It was filled with our industry. He pitched me. I ain't fucked him. And he walked from our table leaned out over the central railing, and he cried out, This is my 11th hour song, you fucking parasites! This is my second act, pinch point! Then he hanged himself in your subway-tiled bathroom in a city with no subway. Calculated? Noah drifts closer to Penelope. She recoils. Remembering his pitches now one recognizes a kind of brilliance 
the bass notes of his despair were missing when I met him, or else I couldn't hear them for all the clackety-clacking of glasses and lanyards. But that young man is now the buzz. Like Sylvia Plath in her post-oven days. Like Joan of Arc in hers. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Now Noah drifts beside Dee Dee. He glances blankly at her baby, who is feeding. Then he stares at Penelope. I don't remember the specifics of his show ideas, but he spoke to me about the human soul. And I know for a fact that his perception of reality, of what was possible, was warped or cracked. Because the truth is this. What we look for in television are dramas that satisfy the most primal urges within a set period of time such that the appetite for a similar satisfaction unfolds from the first. Like a Kleenex poking out of a box. One episode done, the promise of the next springs forth automatically. There is no time for resignation, for the cleansing power of awe. No need to walk away, to think. But through the lens of a toxic mind, one can see that that boy planted little bombs that were meant to go off, but later in the form of ideas. And they were political, but truly so, exposing holes in people's hearts that can never be fixed, substituting sentiment with ideas and filling our minds with thoughts. Haunted condo. Didi pulls her baby from her breast. She is fully exposed and completely oblivious that she is. He was subversive. To be subversive in my industry is to be certifiably insane. Haunted Condo is a domestic comedy about bitter bovine ghosts who know they died too young and have not had enough. We have had writers who write about crazy. This young writer actually was crazy. That's new territory for us. And certainly for an 8 o'clock start. Haunted Condo is set in a stylish abattoir retrofit built atop an undisclosed river of crude. Why are you here? His realities are out there. His sitcoms, too. I want his dramas. I know you have them. He spoke of them. He promised them to me. Do you have an agent? Dr. Douglas? I'm obliged by the principles of my profession. When he was alive, the tension in his subversion was a liability. But now that we know how it ended... What you are asking is so deeply immoral. It's illegal. He's dead. Green light! Didi sets her baby in its bassinet. She pulls her dress closed. Penelope offers Didi a Kleenex from the box. Feel free to take a moment in the vestibule. You probably want to be alone. No. Well, I want you to be alone. Dee Dee takes the tissue and steps in toward Penelope. <sighs> Too close. You've come to an oil town, Dr. Douglas. You probably drove here in your car. And you're a liar if you think you're any better than any other greedy hogtown hick. I don't actually drive. Dee Dee takes her tissue and dabs at Penelope's lip. 
blood. She drops the tissue on the ground, scoops her baby up, heads toward the vestibule. They're not without morals here. They may be moving beyond them, is all. Trust me. Doubt yourself. Didi vanishes. Penelope sits by the window and looks at Noah, who looks back at her. Both are very still. After a moment... So... These cow ghosts are very witty, and they mock the condo residents whom they believe to be half alive at the level of spirit. They secretly, ironically, call the residents the livers. What do you want? What do you need? Haunted condo. Where lifestyles and death styles mix and mingle in an orgy of bamboo and slate. Where, anthropoid or bovine, everybody's only being human. Where karma stains the stainless steel, but under Mount Sinks make cleanups a breeze. Noah stands, takes a knife to his own throat, and slits it. But instead of blood, milk gushes out. He drops to the floor. Fig enters, her arms full of naked mole rats. She sets them down, and they lap at the puddle voraciously. Penelope's phone rings. It rings again. It rings again. It rings again. Penelope answers. Because she's a professional. This is Dr. Douglas. Yes? Yes. Yes. Of course I work with actors. 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 I'm sorry. Lily? Good girl. Lily Bishop? Yes. Yes. No, no, I'm sorry. I haven't heard of you. How do you spell Bishop? You have been listening to part two of Drama, the pilot episodes, a contemporary Western psychodramedy in four parts. Part three is available now on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. You can also hear all the episodes at our website, limegreenkitten.ca. This has been a Lime Green Kitten production in association with One Yellow Rabbit Performance Theater, recorded at Infinite Loop. For more information about the show, go to limegreenkitten.ca. Oh, my God.